Hi, everyone. This is Gary Bean welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number seven. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Ruckert, scribe for the Raw Contact, and president of LL Research, along with Austin Bridges and myself, who are working hard to keep the mission of LL Research alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to those questions are not final and authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations, stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion, as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. To do so, you may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to our website, www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary Bean, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Jim and Austin, are you guys on board and ready to go? We are. Let's do it. All right. You sound wonderful. Our first question was sent in via email from a seeker named Emil. Emil. Hello, LL Research. I'm writing to ask something that I haven't been able to fully digest in the LL channelings. The choice. When the messages refer to the negative path, they always refer to it as an equal choice between two paths to love. They sometimes talk about those who are just walking through their lives without making the conscious choice, negative or positive. Without that conscious decision, harvest cannot be made. But here's what troubles me. My observations are that to be born into the illusion guarantees that we will all be on the negative path. It's the ego, after all. The only, quote, choice, I see, is to evolve from the influence of the ego to the love of service to others, the positive path. In my experience, I don't see many of the 7 billion souls on this planet making that leap of faith. I'm glad to learn that you need only to be 51% positive to be harvested to the fourth density, but it does seem to me that those more obviously on the path to service to self are simply continuing to live the life that the ego demands. Just take a drive on the freeways on any day of the year to see what I mean. Can you speak to that? Jim or Austin, what do you got? Well, I think he's made an incorrect assumption, his observation uh, that we were born into an illusion which guarantees we're going to be on the negative path. I think it's more of a guarantee we're not going to be on a polarized path. There's so much positive and negative that goes into what he's calling the ego and the way we have our daily round of activities set up, the way people behave, the way you see them on the uh, interstate, like he's saying. So I think that there's... uh, a chance that we uh, could either polarize positively or negatively from this non-polarized position. How about you, Austin? What do you think? Yeah, I think you're correct that it is an incorrect assumption. And I think that Don actually made a similar assumption, not quite the same, but um, 
In session 19 and question 15, Don asks Ross something very similar, and Don asked, Then the newest third density beings who've just made the transition from second are still strongly biased towards self-service. There must be many other mechanisms to create an awareness of the possibility of service to others. I'm wondering two things. I'm wondering about the mechanism, and I'm wondering when the split takes place where the entity is able to continue on the road towards service to self that will eventually take him to fourth or fifth density. I would assume that an entity can continue, can start, say, in second density with service totally to self and continue right on through and just stay on that road, stay on what we would call the path of service to self and never ever be pulled over. Is this correct? And then Ra replies, this is incorrect. The second density entity, the second density concept of serving self includes the serving of those associated with tribe or pack. This is not seen in second density as separation of self and other self. All is seen as self since in some forms of second density entities, if the tribe or pack becomes weakened, so does the entity within the tribe or pack. The new or initial third density entity has this innocent, shall we say, bias or distortion towards viewing those in the family, the society, as you call, perhaps, country, as self. Thus, though a distortion not helpful for progress in third density, it is without polarity. The break becomes apparent when the entity perceives other selves as other selves and consciously determines to manipulate other selves for the benefit of self. This is the beginning of the road of which you speak. So it's not the same exact question, but it's really similar in that Don made this assumption that new third density entities were automatically on the self-serving path because of these instinctual holdovers from the second density. And Emil is asking something very similar because he feels that the illusion automatically puts us in a place of operating from our ego. And I think what Emil is considering the influence of the ego could very easily be the same second density instinctual holdovers that Don was referring to. So I think they are very similar questions. And I think the key is the conscious use of other selves or the conscious acceptance of other selves that Ra talks about here. And that if we are operating from this influence of ego, we might have certain tendencies to act in certain ways that protect the self or our tribe or our country but the root of these tendencies i think remain buried within our conscious unconscious minds um and not many people stop to really think why they're behaving the way that they do or why they feel the way that they do why they're protecting the self or feel protective of the tribe the family the nation so there comes a point where we can turn an eye within and look at ourselves and we realize that the way we're behaving has an effect on those around us and that we are impacting the people that we interact with and we start the journey to understand why we behave the way that we do and once this why is more or less determined i think the choice becomes a lucid thing and then we choose the positive or negative path and um i think that even if we are seemingly serving self up to that point the choice is not necessarily biased more towards self from that point. I think that once you see the choice, it is a clear thing to let go of that or uh, alter that to continue on a path of gaining power for the self and manipulation. It's sort of an increase of using other selves 
to one's own ends instead of being protective of the self or the family just for uh, sort of animalistic sake. Gary, how about you? What do you think? So, uh, Austin, would, are you saying then that what Ra describes as the upward spiraling light will cause the entity to move along in third density and at each new step open up opportunities that will eventually lead the entity to making a choice one way or the other? Yeah, it's inevitable that something will happen that will uh, cause the third density entity to uh, consider how they are treating other people, consider the impact they have on other people's lives. I think just the nature of our third density consciousness means that we start thinking about things uh, besides when they are directly happening, I think. We have um, abstract thought, and so we're able to sort of consider the impact we have on people's lives around us, and I think that is an inevitable thing. Is that what you're asking, if it's, like, inevitable? Yeah. Yeah, I do think it's inevitable. Yeah, this is a good point to see that it's part of this design to kind of force us in a way but in a time of our own choosing to begin making those choices and polarizing um to tackle this great question i want to begin with um the use of the word ego and if you define the ego as the fictional i the separate self the personality shell what ramana maharshi calls the i thought then working with that definition the ego isn't the end-all be-all of the self opaque solid and compelling though it may seem It is, in actuality, the least, most substantial and real portion of our identity. In other words, an illusion. Why, in your question, would the illusion foreordain that each born into it would have a predestined path of service to self? I see where you're coming from in that the illusion is very powerful. It, It seems to command the senses of nearly all within it, and, like a mass hypnosis, lulls the entity into the dream of separation causing the entity to, to thoroughly forget who and what it really is and to lose touch with the unified nature of all things. So powerful is the illusion that an entire path of evolution is predicated upon the separation it provides. Entities can consciously accentuate the illusion and accentuate separation and graduate from this density. But the illusion is not final or total. The ego which stems from the illusion is not final or total. Um, Let's see the illusion as a curtain. And as a curtain, it, a curtain, I'm sorry, rather, that seems to separate our incarnation, our incarnate vision of the actual nature of reality, then there are many cracks and gaps in that curtain, solid though it may seem from afar. Um... In other words, ways for the real nature of things, hints even, to get through that curtain. Uh, Those means include, but are not limited to, information and inspiration from our guidance system, uh, assistance and information from those of higher densities, including advertisements in the sky that the Confederation members have apparently conducted in our own recent history in order to alert people to the possibility of mystery or that which lies beyond the illusion. Uh, Non-ordinary states of consciousness induced either by uh, spiritual practice or trauma of some sort or an entheogenic, a.k.a. psychedelic, substance, um, deepened awareness and understanding resulting from disciplined meditation, 
uh, firsthand testimony from other third density beings who have successfully penetrated the veil and witnessed the greater picture, realized the self, and experienced the resulting transformation. Um, the content conveyed to us from our unveiled subconscious mind during sleep each night. And finally, love itself is the ultimate um, trail of breadcrumbs, as it were, that leads us from the illusion to greater reality. Um, if we feel love in our hearts, we are feeling something beyond the illusion. And if that is pursued and followed and cultivated, then we're, we're working to lift our awareness um, into greater reality. And further, and I'm getting close to wrapping up here, uh, your, your question rests on a premise that the illusion is kind of um, bad or negative. Sorry, I'm lacking good terms here. Uh, and sleep and confusion inducing, though the illusion or the ego may be, it's really not all bad. Uh, it's, it has great utility, it seems. According to Ra, the illusion intensified the third density experience. It made this experience more tangible, more vivid, and more intense. It opened opportunities for great beauty, solemnity, wonder, love, sacrifice, service, and that which often motivates both seeking and service, suffering. Uh, it laid the groundwork for the development of will and faith, and that the entity must consciously invoke and cultivate the will in order to progress and must consciously invoke and cultivate the faculty of faith in order to embark upon the quest to seek a truth which is not readily apparent to the senses and is generally unknown to the collective culture thanks to the illusion. So it really has utility and value. And... To conclude, I would direct your attention to 19.7 when Ra is talking about the two picnics that are available to each polarity. And then finally, um, your question again presupposes that due to the illusion, we should all, uh, negative harvest should be 100, happen 100% of the time. And Ra actually gives some percentages. In 65.13, they say, among planetary harvests, which yield at a harvest, um, approximately 10% are negative, approximately 60% are positive, and approximately 30% are mixed. So, uh, if those numbers are true, it seems the majority of planets, despite having the same, more or less the same illusion we experience here, um, do choose to polarize positively. Jim or Austin, any follow-ups on that? Not for me. How about you, Austin? Um, on that last point that you made, Gary, about uh, different harvest percentages, I feel like it might be useful to point out that Ra does kind of indicate that our particular illusion on Earth is a little bit more confusing mm. than others around the universe. Um, I think they sort of point to the fact that there are a lot of third-density entities from other places that are repeating their experience to add to this confusion. Does that ring a bell? Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, the I recall that Ra described that this is a place where there are a 
great multitude um, or mix of third density entities from other planets. I don't recall Ross specifically saying that circumstances are on this planet are more difficult than others, except maybe by comparison to Ra's own experience on their planet. Um, there's that, and Ra also says that their perception of our illusion is that it is a good deal more vivid than other illusions, oh. and that uh, there's more... Um, more condensed experience. I can probably find both of these quotes that I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, about the whole vivid thing. And I, this is just to sort of paint a picture to why maybe Emil and others might feel that the illusion uh, is not necessarily... Is, is maybe skewed towards service to self. Despite the fact that Ra says in the law of one material that our logos actually skewed things towards service to others. But while we're here, it seems maybe that it is innately negative. So Rod does say in session 76 and question 18, um, they say this creation is somewhat more condensed by its logos than some other logo I have chosen. Thus, each experience of the creator by the creator in this system of distortion is, relatively speaking, more bright or, as we say, vivid. So I interpret that to be the experience here is a little more intense, maybe. And then, if you couple that with this other idea, which Ra talks about in session 10 where they say there are entities experiencing your time-space continuum who have originated from many, many places, as you would call them, in the creation. For when there is a cycle change, those who must repeat then find a planetary sphere appropriate for this repetition. It is somewhat unusual for a planetary mind-body-spirit complex to contain those from many, many various loci. But this explains much, for, you see, you are experiencing the third-dimensional occurrence with a large number of those who must repeat the cycle. The orientation thus has been difficult to unify, even with the aid of many of your teach-slash-learners. So I get from that that this particular uh, illusion here on Earth might be a little more confusing, and then couple that with the fact that it's a little more vivid, maybe lends itself to the fact that it can be seen as being innately negative just because of this confusion and difficulty in unifying the consciousness towards service to others, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, and the first quote you read, Rod, does use the word unusual and that our situation is, or rather they say somewhat unusual, um, and that our situation here on the ground and the resulting conditions are unlike what generally happens um, across the universe. So, um, yes, that makes perfect sense. And in reply, I had previously found uh, 90.23 to use in response to Emil. And it also adds some nuance to this, to this discussion. And in 90.23, Ra is talking about how the Logoi can bias their respective creations. <clears throat> and they say, There have been Logoi with greater percentages of negative harvest. However, the biasing mechanisms cannot change the requirements for achieving harvestability, either in the positive or in the negative sense. There are Logoi who, which have offered a neutral background against which to polarize. This Logos, 
meaning our local sun, chose not to do so, but instead to allow more of the love and the light of the infinite creator to be both inwardly and outwardly visible and available to the sensations and conceptualizations of mind-body-spirit complexes undergoing its care and experimenting. Uh, first, I would note the, the dark humor of um, Ra saying that love and light are more inwardly and outwardly visible on this planet <laughs> because I think if you took a survey of most people on this planet, um, they might not agree <laughs> due to conditions here. And that also implies that it's even less inwardly and outwardly visible on other planets, which makes me wonder what those planets are like. I think that might have to do with the vivid statement they were talking about, maybe. That m- when it is able to be realized, maybe it's more vivid. When what is able to be realized? The love, inward or outward love that you were just referring to. Oh. I took vividness to be equivalent to the illusion. The less the love and light are v- visible, then the more the illusion um, takes precedent, the more vivid and tangible and real it all seems. I've always thought the, the uh, vividness referred to both the uh, extreme positive and negative polarization present on the planet that would lend to a more uh, vivid or intense experience. Also, I remember uh, yesterday when I was recording, I was either in session 19 or 20, I can't give you the exact um, question, but Ra was saying that when the conditions which provide the opportunity for positive polarization are not taken advantage of, then those conditions diminish over time, so there's less chance the people will positively polarize if they don't keep on doing it mm-hmm. yeah and judging by the history of this planet those opportunities have chronically uh, been unused thereby adding yet another condition um, on top of the one Austin mentioned earlier about the multitude of origins of souls on this planet <clears throat> uh that reduces the likelihood of a uh, a positively polarized planet. I think that was it for me. Do you guys have any further thoughts off on this one? I think we squeezed it dry. I actually have uh, maybe a question to pose that I think might get to something that we haven't fully addressed in Emil's question and that he talks about the positive path being a leap of faith basically from the normal state of mind, which he was viewing as negative innately, uh, towards love. So I was wondering, um, maybe he's seeing that service to self doesn't require as much of a leap of faith from the normal state of Mm -hmm. mind towards something that sort of service to self seems to be more on the same path and service to others seems to be uh, separate from that, which based on the information that Ra gave doesn't necessarily sound right. But I was wondering if you guys feel like that faith is as much of a mainstay for the service to self path as it is for the service to others path or what exactly is the difference between the normal mode of operation and then making that choice to go to service to self. How is it different from making the choice to service to others in regards to switching paths from what seems to be the track that we're on already? Well, as I was reading in 101 recently, Carla addressed this point. She said that the uh, positively oriented entities do use the quality of faith 
much more frequently than negatively oriented. The negative path is more likely to use the will, the personal will, and to control others and to serve uh, the self in that fashion. That makes sense. Oh, I have a few things to say. One would require another quote lookup. But um, before getting to that point, I recall Ra, or rather Don asking about um, something about the percentages for harvest, the 95% service to self and the 51% service to others. And Ra saying something along the lines of how it requires basically an equivalent intensity of um, will and effort in order to achieve either one. Uh, I, Emil didn't ask per se which is harder. I know uh, it was focused on the aspect of faith. But in terms of difficulty, they both seem to be equivalent according to what I remember Ra saying. Also, I understand where Emil is coming from in that... Um, the positive polarity would seem to require a leap of faith because to choose positive and to take that leap is to seek something that is unknown or is not readily apparent in the environment, whereas the environment seems so negative that for the negative entity, no faith is required per se. They just have to um, kind of choose what's already happening, go with the already existing negative flow and intensify that. Uh, Ra does link the uh, notion of faith to um, the conception that an outcome which is not yet manifest or visible is possible. And I'm going to find that quote. <clears throat> but in that regard, then, I would think that the negative entity would have to have some sort of faith in that they are not only seeking an outcome, but they are very attached to um, that outcome. So they must have some faith that that outcome is possible. I think that makes sense, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, the part that uh, Jim said that Carla talked about in 101, I think that could probably uh, address most of the question that I was asking in that the faith is the choice that the positive entity makes and then using the will to then further intensify the energies that are already at play um, because we're coming out of a second density instinctual sort of self-protection or protection of the tribe uh, that then you can choose to intensify that but perhaps the confusion is that in choosing to intensify that it's not as easy as just staying on the rails and doing what is already given to us. It is even perhaps, well, given what Gary was saying, it's not more difficult, but it's just as difficult to dedicate yourself to manipulating those energies that are already at play to get more power for yourself and uh, power over others as it is to make that uh, quote-unquote leap of faith to just uh, accept and love. Did you find what you were looking for, Gary? Yeah. Um, firstly, well said. Secondly, in 42.12, Ra says, There is but one technique for this growing or nurturing of will and faith, and that is the focusing of the attention. And skip a couple sentences. They go on to say, This, when continued, strengthens the will. 
The entire activity can only occur when there exists faith that an outcome of this discipline is possible. So in my reading, they're linking faith with the projection of outcome or the conception of an outcome that is not yet manifest. So that faculty must play a part in the negative polarity as well. Yeah, there might be some semantics going on here and how we view faith, Um, because I think that's valid. But it also makes sense to me to split it between faith and between will. I think they both play a part in both of the polarities. But um, if we're able to describe the path in some words or another, if we sort of take a different definition of faith that's not so broad and a different definition of will that's not so broad, I do think that it is applicable in that sense. Yeah, I think there's polarized uses of both faculties. Which makes will and faith different on each path. Yeah. Great question. Um, Sent in from Austin via the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Do you guys have any further thoughts on that? No, I think uh, that was our program. Yeah, we are at 30 minutes. Yes, we are. Uh, Gave us a lot of stuff to chew over. Emil, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, And your follow-up worked out great, Austin. We didn't really have time to get into the next question. Jim, would you like to send the listeners off? Yeah, I would always want to tell everybody we love you a lot. We're so glad that you're listening, and we're so glad you're sending questions in. Those are what we really live on. And like Emil did today, you made the whole program. So hope you all have a great week. Uh, Take care. We'll see you next week on uh, In the Now. You've been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you would like to send us a question, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful week, and love and light to you.